everybody, welcome to episode 70 of Literary Disco, the best of 2014. Today's episode will be a roundup of our favorite reads of the year. We'll each pick the best book we read for the disco and the best book we read outside of the disco. And then we'll each add a book to the Literary Disco Hall of Fame. And as he is prone to do, Todd will ask us for all of our year-end best-ofs in a series of random categories. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel, novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, and today's special guest, our producer and editor Tucker Ives. Tucker! 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 Thank you. Woo! Tucker! Thanks for joining us. You should know, Ryder, that before we started, Tucker um, informed me that it was nice to actually be able to talk to me in real life because he has a lot of conversations and questions for me while editing the show, but yeah. he realizes I'm not alive in his ears. Tucker has a lot of follow-up information, usually implying we should have done our research or thought more carefully before we spoke. Yeah, he that's also really refers true. us to medical professionals. <laughs> well, actually, what was the last point? I feel like Tucker sent us something really good about it the last episode. Good. That yeah. It was the it was the uh, the Neil Patrick Harris, oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah. the co-author of it, right. uh, David Jabberbaum. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote right. uh, the reason part of the reason that it seems like they made the uh, choose your own memoir style was that David Jabberbaum worked on uh, the Daily Show. He was a producer and writer for several years, um, right. and he worked on America the Book, um, which kind of kind of made that whole concept make a lot more sense because Neil Patrick Harris probably didn't really have a a coherent uh, storyline that would actually make a decent memoir. So, right. Um, wow. That would be. That was, that was cold. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there's no reason I should have known that name other than he came to Hartford a few years ago, Julia, for the Connecticut Forum. Oh, um, awesome. Which is why I remembered the name. But I don't. He's the only writer or producer on the show that I would um, know by name. So he's sort of I, a. Like, he's kind of the king of gimmicky books then. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. he's the guy who does those kind of... Yeah, that, that makes sense, because it, I don't really understand why Neil Patrick Harris would have framed it as a choose-your-own-adventure. That I don't, I, don't, I don't associate Neil Patrick Harris with choose-your-own-adventures, so... Well, you know what you know would be helpful, Tucker, is during the show, um, when you're producing it for us, what would be helpful is if you could, in fact, act sort of like a David Foster Wallace footnote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just, just jump in for pause. like an hour. Yeah, just pause and be like, here's what Todd, Julia, and Ryder have wrong. Here's the important factoid you that need to know. That actually would be really helpful. I think that would be hysterical. <laughs> the annotated literary disco. I was thinking at the end, uh, on ESPN, on Pardon the Interruption, they've got Stat Boy at the end of every episode. Uh, so at the end of each episode, they throw it to him, and he goes through all the corrections and uh, <laughs> statistical errors that were made in the previous half hour. It's also like the Saturday Night Live, the Fox and Friends sketch, where uh, they're talking, and then they've got the list of corrections scrolling down at the very end of it. Um, I mean, most of ours would, I mean, we would obviously need some corrections, but mostly you would be apologizing for whoever Todd offended. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Just be... I like the David Foster <laughs> Waller. sorry. Yeah, it's definitely David Foster Wallace. You should just jump in, and then you should. It should start with us, but then you got to apologize, and then tell your own little story, and let your anxieties right. swirl around, and then kick it back to us. It, it would be helpful, just generally for us, that if we could talk about geography, knowing that you would correct it. <laughs> How about we just? Yeah, don't you guys talk are really geography. bad with. Yeah, I'm with Julie. Stick on to that. what we know, people. <laughs> well, this would be a very short podcast. It would be all about. <laughs> 
playing Madden on my PS3. <laughs> All right. Well, who uh. wants to go first with um let's why don't we talk about what we liked from the disco this year cuz that'll probably be uh, the easiest considering we've already talked about some of those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we, we actually talked about all of those books. All of First, them. can yeah. I guess what you guys picked? Oh, that's guess a good what you call. Guys oh, yeah. We did this another year. All right, I think Todd's going to pick Gabriel. And that's correct. Shoot, <laughs> that's right, right? Uh, and I thought yes. I, I was looking through everything we read this year, and I thought about what Ryder would pick, but now I can't remember what it was. All right, that's all I got. It's, yeah. I'm going to say yeah. T- Todd definitely picked Gabriel. Um, oh. And Julia, I'm gonna say Five Days at Memorial. All right, that's it's Five Days uh, at that's Memorial. That's my number was, was two. I really struggled. I really struggled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did too. This was a weird year on the disco. We did a lot of random yeah. like um, short stories, and we did a lot of like articles, mm-hmm. like episodes like the Shirley Jackson episode, and mm-hmm. we started the year off with the best of 2013, the best short stories, mm-hmm. uh, best American. So we did a lot. It was a little hard to pick this year. We didn't have so many, um, you know, complete oh, books. I know what I thought you were going to say, uh, Ryder, is Huck Finn. Oh. I didn't know if that would count. Obviously, that would be the of number of picks. But I kind of did. Oh, I guess so. Um, no, actually, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, well, I'll just, uh, why don't you just say what yours was, Julia? Sure. Start so that. mine, I really struggled between Five Days at Memorial, which I absolutely loved, um, and my other pick, which is definitely my final choice because I think about it the most, which is Black Hole, the graphic novel. Oh, that um, was a good I one. I really loved that book. Yeah. Um, and the imagery, and it just really creeped me out. It really creeped me out, both the art and the story. Did you guys notice that Black Hole makes an appearance in the new Planet of the Apes movie that came out this summer? Did anybody catch no. that? No. I didn't see yeah. that. Oh, okay. The, 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 there's a teenage son, and he's uh, they're camping out in the woods where the apes live, and uh, the humans that have like made contact with the apes and are trying to make peace with them. And the teenage son is reading Black Hole, and uh, one of the head apes like takes it from him, and they have like this connection over a graphic novel. It was really it was a cool choice actually when you think about the themes of Black Hole, like you know the adolescence mm-hmm. and and the, the, all the weird body changes and chemical issues or whatever bot- mutations are going on, you know it kind of works for for plan to the apes so i thought it was a cool little moment that's awesome um that's a good um, call I like so it. black yeah. hole for you that's your number one black favorite hole. book of the disco my number one well i i had the same experience as writer i was looking through them and i was like oh wow this is definitely our weirdest year ever mm-hmm. um i also considered tinkers tinkers was really good tinkers was really good um but we had lots of short stuff we had that episode where Todd started throwing up in the middle of it <laughs> <laughs> which was actually five days at memorial uh, that was a good memory and then so after that um our schedules were so messed up we ended up doing the just like q a from the audience, which was, that was probably my favorite episode we did. Um, but yeah, we read a lot of random stuff. Next year, I would um, I would like our New Year's resolution to be to read more classics. Not classics, but not necessarily things that are, that have just come out that we don't know exactly how good they are. Okay. I think I want more good books that I know are going to be awesome. Hmm. I, I want uh, more books that I know are going to be awesome and then more books that I know are going to be horrible. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I really like reading something that makes you want to put my fucking head through a wall. 
Well, those tend to make for our best episodes, I think, too. Because when we all <laughs> like a book, we all just sort of are like, well, it was really damn good. Like, Tucker, I mean, Tinker's... What's your opinion? Do you, do you prefer us to be uh, filled with anger or filled with happiness? Oh, anger. Oh, totally anger. <laughs> Scorn and derision, right? Scorn and derision make for the best. Yes, that like, was... No, I mean... that's a silly question. Okay. Just wanted to, wanted to make sure we hadn't put the wrong man on the job. I would be so bored if you guys agreed on uh, anything, actually. Well, we don't, so we're good. I think we agree uh, on a couple things, like great songs. Nope. So, Todd, for you, <laughs> yes. no. Yes, stop. No. Stop. Uh, Just go. Just keep Todd, for you, why? Last I mean, we obviously princess. knew how moved you were by Gabriel, but how did it rise to the top for you for the whole year? Well, it was actually pretty close between Gabriel and Five Days at Memorial for two specific reasons, which is that I have recommended this book. Equal, I've equally recommended both books to people. And I've heard some argument um, that Gabriel really should be considered a book of nonfiction versus a book of poetry, which I think is kind of silly. Um, yeah, that's but, you know, it's a, it is a memoir uh, of a kind, I suppose. But... In the end, Five Days at Memorial was um, was a shocking and moving book, and I've I you know I read it and gave it to someone, and I've talked about it a lot, and I've spouted facts from it as though those facts were gleaned by me through my own research, um, <laughs> just in the middle of conversations. Like I don't know if you're aware of it, but Tenet um, has a long history of abusing their uh, nurses and doctors, and in fact encouraged the killing of animals and people during Hurricane Katrina. Um, but I have not stopped thinking about Gabriel since the day I bought it, and it has been sitting beside my bedside table ever since. I have not taken it away from my bedside table. In fact, it's here in my hand right now. Um, and recently, I was at um, my MFA residency where you know there were 100 students and 20 faculty and 25 guest faculty, and a huge number of people had read Gabriel. And I was really surprised because it, it's a book of poetry and not a lot of people read a ton of poetry, even people in graduate schools and creative writing, except for the poets, of course. And I, I didn't hear a single person say a bad word about it. And they all wanted to talk about it. And, and those that had heard the podcast wanted to talk about our feelings about it. Um, and I, I just, I, I've never been, well, I, I wasn't this moved by anything else this year as I was, uh, as I was by Gabriel by Edward Hershey. I just, I just loved it for all of the worst reasons. Hmm. You know, I was going to say Five Days of Memorial, but I'm, I think I'm with you. I think Gabriel's pretty unbelievable. <laughs> and I think, you know, I mean, it's, I, I guess part of the reason why I'm tempted to, to say Five Days of Memorial is that honestly, just the experience of reading it lasted so much longer because Gabriel right. only took me a day to read. But when I think about the intensity of, the experience and the memory gabriel wins hands down but because i spent two weeks reading five days of memorial i guess <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like sort of yeah it's huge it's bigger and it feels more like something to recommend to people but you're right like as far as just a, a, a work of art um god gabriel's so good so i, I think gabriel's gonna be on my, my my favorite of the year too and i've seen it, it it's on a lot of the end of the year lists as well um and i i, I think that sort of transcendence of it as a work of art outside the realm of poetry is something significant culturally you know people are talking about this book and it's 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 a poem it's a it's a hundred page poem and whoever yeah. talks about a hundred page poem 
right. outside of, you know, salons in France or something. We had so, It was also a good year for our Twitter stream, um, <laughs> uh, mostly because of Todd's something that Todd recently did, which was the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. Um, which we'll get to in a minute, but, um, someone tweeted at us that, you know, uh, our episode about Gabriel made them like want to read poetry again, or maybe for the first time ever. And I'm really proud of that because poetry really gets a bad rap, you guys. So go read Gabriel as a gateway. It's a good gateway. Tucker, uh, did, did you, did you read any of, any of the books we recommended, Tucker? Um, (laughs) wow. Wow. Okay. How about this question? All right, Tucker, what episode, because you get to listen to the episodes very objectively before anyone else hears them, was there any episode that you thought was the best episode or uh, the most fun for you to edit? More recently, and kind of a confession, my my long-term memory isn't very good, so I don't remember every episode we uh, did, and I don't have a computer in front of me to to look. Oh, that's okay. Um but of the the recent ones uh hitchhikers the hitchhiker guides to the galaxy i was interested in just because like i think uh the rest of you i hadn't read it uh since i was sixth grade and i just connected to that one a little more in terms of it being a book that i remembered liking and realized i don't know how i would feel about it today Awesome. That was a fun episode. We're, we're going to need you to we're going to need you to go ahead and read uh, no. all the books, Tucker. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have it's to. It's fine. Do that. I'm not going. Don't out. let him talk to you like that, Tucker. It's... <laughs> I'm I'm going to need a five page paper from you at the end of each month, guys. Review. I'll just edit it. I'll I'll edit this section out of the podcast. And never read it. <laughs> Ultimate power. Oh boy! Um, all right, so do we want to move on to our our favorite non literary disco reads? Yeah, yeah. What was your favorite non literary disco book, Ryder Strong? Um, well, mine is a little bit of a cheat because it, I actually finished it. I actually read this book, or well, maybe that's not true. But I started. I found this author at the end of last year, and I don't think I've talked about him on the the podcast yet. But I've I've spent a lot of time talking about him outside of the podcast. Um, uh, the lead singer of Typhoon, the band that ended up playing uh, my wedding, which we've talked about, um, Kyle Morton recommended a poet to me um, who's actually a friend of his named Zachary Schoenberg. Have I talked about him to you guys at all? No. Okay. So Zachary Schoenberg, Kyle, you know, we just started emailing after the wedding and, and, and Kyle's a big literary guy. And, and so we were recommending books to each other. And I said, you know, you write amazing lyrics. Like you probably have some good poets, you know, poets that you like. And he recommended this guy. And um, I've never read a poet like this guy. And he's a Portland based poet. Uh, Schomburg. It's S-C-H-O-M-B-U-R-G. The first book that I read of his was called Scary No Scary, which is his most recent book. And then I went back and found um, one of his earlier books called Fjords, Volume 1. And um, I don't really want to talk about it too much. I just want people that are interested in poetry to read it because I've never read poetry like this before. It's so weird and awesome. And um, I can't really quite put my finger on what is so different and unusual and surprising about him. Um, I can sort of explain what happened to me. I, I was reading Scary No Scary and I just wasn't quite getting it. It was sort of like, 
I just didn't, I didn't know if it was supposed to be literal or surreal or I just, I don't know. I just didn't know how to read it. And then my wife walked into the room where I was reading it and I started reading it aloud to her and we both started laughing and I realized how funny it was, but in this really morbid, weird way, um, let me just, I'll, I'll read, I'll read one from Fjords. This is actually a prose poem. They're not all prose poems, but this one is. It's called The People with Arms. I didn't have arms. She didn't have arms. Falling in love was the easy part. We had so much to talk about. Our armlessness, our being two armless citizens of such a cruel and inaccessible world. When we moved in together, the people with arms did most of our gardening, our cooking, the scrubbing in the shower. And making love was always a problem. One person with arms behind each of us, their arms reaching around our sides, doing the rubbing. If we closed our eyes, we always thought arms were just these inconsequential things, these bendy things filled with cold blood, these things we hardly needed for love. If we closed our eyes, that kind of touching could feel right for just long enough. Weird. It's, right? uh, it's sort of like an Amy Bender short yeah. story. It, yeah. It really is reminiscent Actually, of... you know what? You're right. Amy Bender is probably the closest... Um, parallel in terms of just surreal but then kind of meaningful and you don't know if it's like some kind of big allegory or if that's too simplistic of a reading and it just ends up being one of the best poetic experiences I've had in so long and um, I've read both of these books multiple times now and I I love them I got I I think he has one other collection I need to to get and read but you know I also I which we've talked about poetry how poetry needs to be supported more and contemporary poetry especially so i wanted to pick that for my favorite uh non-literary disco read of the year anything by zachary schoenberg but i would recommend scary no scary is probably his best right now that i've read of the two that i've read um unbelievable i just found i just found a poem from scary no scary at the poetry foundation called the abandoned hotel mm-hmm. which uh, i have read and it is awesome yeah so highly recommended um all right, so actually, Tuck, Tucker, why don't you go? Why don't you go? Tell us your favorite book you read this year. Okay, so a uh, quick backstory is uh, I working in the news business and stuff, I am kind of uh, surrounded by a lot of the, the rhetoric that happens. And so especially after the Newtown school shooting, a lot of people started citing uh, what the founding fathers believed, especially in regards to the Second Amendment. And so... Hmm. Uh, Maybe in like a, a kind of drunken stupor, I decided that I would go back and uh, read the uh, read biographies about each of the presidents. And so uh, let's just say I'm I'm almost done with Washington. Oh boy! Um, it's a but I'm giving that my top pick uh, because it, it's just, it's a 900 page kind of behemoth of Whoa. a book. Um, it's called Washington: A Life. It just came out in 2011 by Ron Chernow. Um, and it just, it made Washington a very kind of human person and it de-romanticized a whole lot about the country and kind of how things got started and how messed up things were in the beginning, not just like the situation pre, uh, declaration, but the, the situation kind of after and that it really wasn't anything remotely idealistic at the beginning. They had good ideas, but nobody agreed whatsoever, um, and it made things just kind of uh, – it, it put the kind of current bipartisanship um, issues that we're seeing in some context. And this kind of the 
the gridlock is nothing new whatsoever. So it, it actually, it reads really well. It's got a ton of information. It covers, obviously, wow. Washington's whole life. Um, so eventually, uh, uh, obviously, the next one that I'm going to move on to is uh, the David McCullough, John Adams book. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing that hopefully I'll make up some of the time with this project uh, once I get to, like, William Henry Harrison. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> dead. And stuff like that. So dead. <laughs> you know what you yes. might like, Tucker, is a book I just read called George Washington and Benedict Arnold, A Tale of Two Patriots by Dave huh. R. Palmer. A fascinating would, yeah. it's a fascinating book about their relationship with one another, their intersection. Look, um, he's got a lot of other presidents to yeah, cover. I know. Yeah, he's but I'm just saying, if he keeps retreading the Washington, this is, it, it's a great it's a great look at Sort of the demystification of both men, uh, Washington and Benedict Arnold. Um, and Benedict Arnold, um, since he did, he's got Connecticut roots. And um, so Julie and I probably hear more about him, I feel, than other parts might. But um, Benedict Arnold is kind of, I don't I, how would you describe him, Julie? As like, he's kind of the anti-hero of Connecticut. In, yeah, there's in many some ways, sympathy, you know, like it's, uh, you know. Is there really? Ours is like a, is we have like Christopher Nolan, you know, Benedict Arnold. He's the anti-hero. Yes. We like him. He's dark. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> he had a messed up life. He, he, he is a far more complex man than, than what history has led us to believe. As, as yeah. we all are, I think we can probably mm-hmm. all state. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing with Washington, because you see Washington as he's the face on your money. He, he, there's the very stoic image of Washington that we have. Um, and as kind of an American god in many ways. But uh, he worked super, super hard to create that image, and he sat down for portraits and specifically really crafted his image and was very uh, cognizant of what stuff was public, how he was going to share information with other people, um, and the the image that he created. He did a, a hell of a job creating that image of himself that we still kind of have and the image that mm. uh, we like to idolize. Now it's it's true that he was gay, right? That's that's been proven. <laughs> he was DNA he was, testing. Um, <laughs> or is that Abe Lincoln? Which president? You're thinking Abe Lincoln. Oh right. Uh, Abe Lincoln Washington was, was actually Washington liked the ladies a lot. Um, he actually kept track every uh, city he traveled to, both uh, towards the end of the war when things were going well, and then during his presidency. In his diary, he would actually make note of how many women were in the room at oh. various dinners that he would go to. Wow. Um, and he would make note about how good looking they were. And um, he, it was like, he'd say like, oh, I went to uh, uh, Boston and there were 78 beautiful women there. Um, <laughs> Two of wow. us. <laughs> it, it was it's really interesting. And I mean, Martha, not, uh, not, not the greatest looking. Yeah, not I a mean, no, no, but uh, she was supportive, and um, in many ways, she 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 went through hell. And in many ways, it's um, he kind of treated her in the way that a lot of modern politicians treat their wives too. So, uh, America hasn't changed a whole lot. Hmm. <laughs> wow, interesting. That sounds fascinating. Well, good luck on your project. We should check in with you once in a while on this. Yeah, yeah this might be an annual thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Where you yeah. check in with me, and I'll give you an update on every book for uh, okay. that I read per year. 
Yeah. Great. And, so in about also, 43 years, we'll be... <laughs> we'll be at, yeah, who's at this rate. 33? Harding? I it's going to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is going to take a while. Well, good luck with that. And Thank let us you. know when you move on to the vice presidents, because I, I personally have a lot of interest in Spiro Agnew. Mm-hmm. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> or Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford actually lived uh, down the street from me. I think my mom had sex with him, but that's another story entirely. Okay, okay. Thanks for joining us for a little bit, Tucker. We understand Thank you, you, for having you, me. you have a pressing date down at the bar. Um, what's, yep. what's the name of the bar you're going to right now? It's the Half Door, and it's a place where Julia literally uh, has a framed photo of herself <laughs> on the bar. Yeah. On the wall. On the wall. Right, right, right. Yeah, on the wall. It's a, I don't know. They're running out of... Yeah. It's an actual it's, photo? It's a picture, and uh, there's a plaque on it, and it has my name on it. And some people are dummies, and they put a quote on so everything's all small and you can't read it. No, mine's just, like, my face and my name, and that's it. That's Is all it you your need. real name? <laughs> it's my real name. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you went for a pseudonym. <laughs> it was, like, Samantha Hockaday or something. Are you implying I should be ashamed of my uh, achievements at this bar? No, in Hartford, it's a badge of honor. It really is. It's a it's a badge of honor that I can't claim. <laughs> thank you, Tucker. Okay. Oh, All right, well, thank you, guys. All right, we'll see you soon. How about you, Julia? Okay, so I've thought a lot about this because I this has been a distressing year for me. I have not read almost anything that I've absolutely loved, both on the disco and off. Um, um, I don't I don't I don't mean to state the obvious here. Okay, Julia. I didn't read your book yet, Todd. Wow. I've been saving it for this, this Christmas is, break. It's starting to get weird between all of us. Yeah. Um, um I knew this was gonna I mean, go I, there. I didn't know if um, you saw it, but there was a full page in the New York Times about the book recently and I I, I just thought that you hey, had read it too. Um I haven't read it yet. I was saving uh, it for my vacation. I haven't read wow. it either <laughs> Wow. I think we're, we're we're thanked in it too. I've had people say they've read the acknowledgments. Yeah, and, and yeah. I'm in there, mm-hmm. and I still haven't read it. Yeah, it's it's down there on that yeah. page. You know, I went to a the your your book launch, yeah. or wasn't it the launch? Yeah, yeah but you yeah. know, buying a book at a book launch takes a while because there's line, and then I would have had to have you sign it. Right. This, <sighs> wow. Right. Okay. We'll, well, we'll anyway, um. Yeah. So back to me. Wild, wildly right, acclaimed. Guys, by let's the focus. Way. Just. Uh, Casey Wildly yeah. It's true. And great cover. All my yeah. family members keep trying to steal it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Fucking anyway. Outside of the disco, Julia, what did you read? <laughs> Outside of the disco. That you loved. So, I have read a lot of books this year that were popular, you know, when they came out or, you know, that are on a lot of the end of the year list. I read uh, The Goldfinch this year. I read Station Eleven. Um, I read um, oh, what the David Mitchell book that I talked about on another episode whose name I... Oh, The Bone Clocks. Um, mm. But I had a big problem with endings this year. You know, for me, a book only really hits me hard if there, you know, if there's a great ending and I feel a sense of loss when it's over. And none of... No fiction I read met that bar. Which was really sad, you know. And I have been the last week or so. I've been in a total panic trying to fake, like frantically read a book that I knew would be incredible for this podcast, but um, <laughs> I didn't make it. Um, what about I did um, start one. What about the Donna Tart book? Didn't you love the Donna Tart book? I I loved it, but it still didn't seem worthy enough. 
But then I remembered, just 10 minutes before recording this, um, that uh, I read a couple of months ago, and I don't think I talked about it yet on the podcast, The Hot Zone by Richard Preston. Have you guys read The Hot Zone? No. Uh, no. Is that Why about... It's about part? Ebola. About Ebola, right. Uh, yeah, it's the book that um, Outbreak was, you know, I don't want to say based on, but... You know, it's the book that inspired it basically like Ebola in the public American consciousness. It's nonfiction um, about this incident where there was an Ebola outbreak in um, suburbs of Washington, D.C., and it is a fantastic book. I mean, I read it in two or three days, um, just tearing through it and, you know, watching the disease spread amongst some monkeys. It's also about um, a related <laughs> disease called Marburg. And, you know, it's just. It's just a really, really good science read. So if you like science and you like watching pandemics spread and you're interested in Ebola, um, it's a great book. Read so it on I a plane. I actually think that is the best book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually think it was the best book I read this year. But I did the book I started reading that I know is going to be amazing is the only John Williams book I haven't read, Augustus. Oh. Um, uh, author of Stoner and Butcher's Crossing. So I was like, oh, I know this is going to be good. So I started that, and it is really good, but I'm not done yet. So Stoner, which has been back on Maybe it'll suck. bestseller lists around the country all year long, interestingly enough. There was that big resurgence this year, and people reading about Stoner and buying Stoner and it being used in colleges. It's one of those books that inexplicably has taken off long since uh, its first release. Well, I've been fascinated recently with the, just the concept of how books age. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I recently pulled down Michael Shaban's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which is one of those books that I loved when I first read it in 2002 or whatever. And, you know, I've recommended to so many people over the years. And uh, I started reading it again, and I don't like it. Like, I really don't like the way it's written. Oh boy. And I remember I had brought that book up when we talked about Middlesex, when I had read Middlesex for my horrible book mm-hmm. club. And... Um, I didn't like it for the same reasons I didn't like Middlesex. And I just realized that I I think, you know, some some books don't age that well. Or, you know, and, I, and now I'm just kind of fascinated, especially I, part of the reason why this is all going through my head is because I just moved. And so I had to redo my bookshelf and had to take all my books, and put them in boxes and then take them out of boxes and put them up. So I had lots of time to, to look at books and consider why I keep copies of books and what I want to reread. Or, and it's just, you know, books that it's it's so cool that books can change you know that they can grow and that you are rereading of them mm-hmm. like the fact that huck finn this year was such a different experience than when i read it in college at the age of 19 or 18 or what, however old i was when i first read it then and then of course i read it even before that i think at 13 um i don't know i i, I think it's important to revisit books and and reread at least you know to just get a sense, even just the first couple pages to give you a sense. I was so, so blown away by Michael Shaban's writing style. Like, I didn't remember it being so overwrought, but it really is. Mm-hmm. It's, like, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of, like, what I remember about The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay is the story. And I remember the plot right. and I remember mm-hmm. the characters. But the actual prose is just, it's really just a lot like he's using his vocabulary is crazy and he takes so much time to describe things that i just don't think he needs to it's a really i don't know i'm gonna keep reading it and maybe it'll maybe it'll all pay off but i'm like wondering why i mean i'm i feel like it's 200 pages too long this second time around reading it which is just weird books wow books well it might also be that you know how it ends 
<laughs> you know, sure. So, sure. <laughs> there might be that bit. Right. Although I I I enjoyed reading it when I read it, and then I read that book, Julia, that you talked about not long ago, um, the Ten Cent Plague. Is that what it was called? The nonfiction book mm-hmm. about um, about comics and um, yep. their rise. And I thought, oh wow, you know, the the true story is actually you know better than the right. than the make believe. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which leads me to my uh, favorite book of the year. And this should not be a surprise because I've been touting it since the day I finished reading it. And I've been talking about it on the internet as much as possible. And I'm trying to become best friends forever with the author. Um, I hope maybe he notices me on Twitter, like everyone who asks to notice us on Twitter. Um, and I should note, this is, a, this is our end of year message to you people on, on Twitter. We see each and every one of you. Writer sees each and every one of your uh, tweets to him. Through Literary Disco, he responds personally to every single one of them. Writer <laughs> does not know the login information to our No, team. but I read Just every, so. I do read all the mentions. I just don't, I you don't reply because I don't know the login information. But I have my Twitter, I read all my at mentions too. Um, but I read them all, you know, and I'll jump on there. Can we just? I want to, sorry, Todd, I know you want to go, but right. I alluded to it earlier, and I, I I know that we have lots of listeners who aren't on Twitter, don't look at our Twitter, but it would be worth it to go, and Ryder, you probably don't know about this either, um, <laughs> Todd recently <laughs> stated on Twitter that the three of us were together in a mall shopping for Christmas, <laughs> and it was very funny, and there was probably 30 tweets about us shopping Are together. There were quite a few. And oh, I some, yes. I've been moving for some the last people, week, so... Right. Some of our, our listeners, um, some of our listeners thought that was real, and listeners, it was not, this did not occur. <laughs> there, B. Dalton's is no longer in business. Oh, now I'm okay. so curious what, what was going on. But the fact was done is, in my you name. do not want to... Well, Ryder, you you did some you, things that you're not proud you of. You bought you bought fingerless gloves at a Hot Topic. <laughs> that's that's, that's something you did. I, I'm a fan of fingerless gloves. <laughs> there there were uh, there was an experience where we drank a few too many Orange Juliuses and tried on pants. Oh, so we were in a mall mm-hmm. circa 1992. That's correct. We were not yeah. in a present because yeah. t- a present mall. Okay. No, is... we lost our car. Did we ever find our car? Did no, we find our car? no, we ended up in the bathroom at Cask and Cleaver. Uh, that's okay. That's where Todd, I left go us. back to where? What was your book? Where? Where were you? Please. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, it is a, a past your time. It is Fourth of July Creek yes. by Smith Henderson, um, which was a debut novel that came out earlier this year. Um, Smith Henderson was a pen-emerging writer. Um, he was the Philip Roth resident in creative writing at Bucknell University and a fellow at the Mitchner Center for Writers in Austin, Texas. He works as an advertising executive. And Fourth of July Creek is his novel, which takes place in the 1980s um, in rural Montana in the Pacific Northwest. It concerns um, everything that I love, um, small towns, men with problems, children at risk, um, larger geopolitical and social issues and amazing, poetic, sharp, hard-hitting prose um, that straddles the line between literary fiction and crime fiction. The thing about Fourth of July Creek that I said, I think, earlier is that it reads like a book by someone 
who has written 20 books and this is their their big one this is the one that sets them into the stratosphere but it's his first novel and it is absolutely amazing completely assured um not a misstep taken in it just an amazing piece of literature and um i also kept it by my bed i did a weird thing i i i read the entire book and then i reread it again um it wow. was it's a 500 page book and i just wanted to see how he did everything um just just an amazing amazing book and you're seeing it on a lot of the you know best of lists this year as well um but I'm, you know, I, I know that it took him, I think, a decade to write the book. I, I pray it doesn't take him a decade to write another book. I know that they've sold it for a TV show. I don't know if it will actually become a TV show, as those things are. But um, I just, I can't recommend it enough. It, for me, it was sort of um, not unlike Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, mm -hmm. where after I got done reading it, I was swept up by the invention of the story, but more swept up by the way the mind of the author works that to, to hold this story in his head for the amount of time it took him to write it to get it onto the page and um and to be equally moving and funny and fucked up um man i just i just absolutely loved every part of it and uh i, I can't recommend it enough i've been telling everyone to read it um so and i i should i should give a shout out as the kids say in 1992 the person who told me to read it which is our good friend celeste freeman um a wonderful nonfiction writer in her own right who we went to graduate school with who told me that i would love the book and she was absolutely correct great man yeah i bought I my copy after that. you recommended this earlier in the year and my mm -hmm. wife read it uh but i haven't gotten around to it yet so we have the gigantic hardcover book yeah it's huge yeah. Did, she, did alex like it yeah she liked it a lot she, she loved yeah. it but, um, yeah, and it's got a great cover. It really has a great cover. Oh, yeah, it's great. I recommend you all buy it tonight. And Smith, if you're listening, call me. Let's hang. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. I don't know what we... And by hang, I mean I don't I don't really do anything. I mostly sit at home and type. Mm, so call me. Cool. We'll type. <laughs> Let's type. All right, so now we're going to try and add some books to our Hall of Fame. And hopefully they are not repeats because... It turns out none of us can remember what we've already put in the Hall of Fame, and we didn't write it down anywhere. So uh, we can remember some of the books. Todd remembers exactly which books he put in. But, uh, yeah, as I might be re-contributing right. a book. Um, but the selection that I made for the Literary Disco Hall of Fame is Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. Uh, and this book has just come up in my life recently. Um, uh, well, I'm having a son. I am, uh, my wife is pregnant and is ready to give birth at any minute. I could get a phone call while we're recording this. And um, we were discussing names, and at one point, the name Whitman actually was in consideration. Oh, that's a good name. Because like it was a cool name, name and yeah. um, as a first name. And so, you know, that began a whole discussion, you know, about the name. And, and then I started thinking about Whitman, and I went back and I reread Leaves of Grass. Um, and it's just... The so song of myself is just the most perfect poem ever written, and it's it's one of those things that when you read it, everything, every line is so true and undeniable, and it's just it's it's such a strange experience. You know, I've, I've read it many times in my life, but reading it this year, knowing that I was about to have a son, and and thinking about you know what what I want him to read and or think about, and I just realized how much this book still is like a bible for me, and. Um, 
I I want to reread it every year now. I went and and read a, a like a 500 page Whitman biography this year after after this came up and um really interesting like not a super interesting life uh not you know I would definitely say like Whitman as a person is less interesting than Whitman as uh, his poems um which is not a huge revelation but just one of those things that um I don't know struck me uh, you know when you read something that is so philosophically profound like song of myself or, or at least for me you know there, there's a sense that oh he must have had this amazing interesting adventurous life and it's just not the case you know he mostly led a life of letters and we actually don't know that much about his life as far as like right. relationships and stuff like that so it was really interesting to to to, to discover that um because i had never heard or read that much about whitman but anyway uh Leaves of Grass. If you haven't read it, if you just, it's obviously it's everywhere. You can find copies of the Song of Myself. It's long. Um, I ended up reading Song of uh, Song of Myself aloud to my wife's belly, and it took me two hours. So wow. that's all it will take is two hours of sitting down and reading. Um, and I highly recommend it. Give yourself the time. Read Song of Myself, if not all of Leaves of Grass. It's it, it's just amazing, amazing book and series of poems couldn't agree more great line. i love walt whitman that is a good one also congratulations Ryder. yeah thank we you. have we haven't actually discussed on the air that Ryder's having a baby he's mentioned it yeah. obliquely but no one seemed to notice it <laughs> did i <laughs> i am sitting in my baby's future room right now recording because we right. just moved into our new house and i'm looking at my crib and by the time this episode airs, I believe Mr. Strong will be a father. And probably and Ryder has not revealed his, his child's name to us, so it will be a surprise to all of us as well. Um, to Julia has been very popular lately in um, to Julia? a lot of homes. To Julia? Is that uh, to, no. to Julia. You know That's what? T apostrophe Juliad? Julia. Juliad. 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 It sounds like Juliard a cycle of strong, is it? Some, you know, ah, the Juliad. Have you read the Juliad? Yeah. I think Juilliard Strong is a name that would have absolutely no expectations. <laughs> uh, it's tough, man. Anything with oh. strong starts to sound really out there. It's you know. yeah, but I think uh, you, Juilliard Strong that that's my <laughs> contribution to you and Alex and your upcoming uh, birth of your child. So my pick for the Hall of Fame is actually a book we read this year on Literary Disco, and it was my favorite reread of the year, which is. The Collected Stories of Brees DJ Pancake. Mm. Yeah. Um, since we reread that book, I have had a thousand conversations about the book, and I read it again. I read uh, Trilobites again uh, a couple times, a short story, and I gave it as an assignment to students. Um, and I think he's one of those writers who, like John Williams, who we mentioned a moment ago, sees a periodic renaissance when people remember that he exists. Um, but I, I was so profoundly moved by reading those stories again and so surprised by the indelible nature of the voice in those and how there's been a million writers who have come subsequent to Brees DJ Pancake who didn't realize how much Brees DJ Pancake had inspired them, even if they've yeah. never read him. Um, yeah. That his lineage, you know, probably comes down through creative writing programs um, and mm -hmm. then filters into writers. Uh, but I, I think it's an important book. I think it's a, a book that aspiring writers need to read, but it's just a book that people who love literature need to read and, and need to read about the man himself. Um, I've spent a lot of time, probably too much time, <laughs> when I should be writing or um, updating the Twitter with us shopping in the mall. 
about Brees DJ Pancake's life, and it's a sad, fucked up, awful life, of course, um, but also with moments of great beauty and, and grace. And I think the mark of a great artist is um, the ability for us to remember not just uh, all the bad stuff, but to remember all of the good things about the person too. His niece, Anne Pancake, um, has a new book coming out this year, I believe, or 2015 from uh, Counterpoint Press, um, which I'm gonna check out. I've never read any of her work, but she teaches creative writing somewhere and she writes a lot of books. Um, but that, that's my, oh. my addition to the Hall of Fame. The Collected Stories of Brees DJ Pancake. Great. Yeah. All right. So I have, I'm nominating a book that I have not reread in a while. So Ryder's making me nervous um, with his um, Cavalier and Clay revelation. But I, I think this book holds up. Um, we've mentioned it before, but it's just an absolute fantastic work of fiction that I have recently been thinking about because of the TV show American Horror Story. Geek Love. Mm. Geek Love is my nomination by Catherine Dunn. Um, it's a wonderful, super weird novel um, about uh, geeks and circus freaks and uh, this family uh, who is... I, I, don't, I hate going too deeply into it because there's some big plot movements that are very surprising if you don't know what's coming. But, it, you know, it's all about family and religion and being an outsider and it's just a really really excellent book and uh writer i think you initially recommended it to me back when we were at bennington yeah and so thanks for that i have reread it recently and it does not hold Ooh. up as well as i thought it would damn I it know. oh do you think it's that book or do you think it's you being a crab <laughs> i think it's me being a crab <laughs> a little bit do you think it's the hollowed up core of a man you've become or the prose in the book no <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, it's, it's such a great story, and it's such a great uh, world. I mean, the, the, like you were saying, the circus freaks and freakdom and um, the carnival lifestyle. Like, there's so many things about the book that actually have very little to do with the way it's written. Um, but those things are still great. Um, and and I, I have issues with the book that I don't want to bring up here because they would um, reveal major plot points but um i mean in case anybody doesn't know the the basic idea is that it's a couple that decides to ingest pesticides and chemicals while she is pregnant so that they have freak children so they have a built-in freak show um for the carnival that they run which is just a crazy great concept for a book um and then, yeah, I, I, I read about the American Horror Story series, and it sounds like they directly ripped off a lot of the stuff. Um, yep, like the, yep. the conjoined twin sisters. Um, there was just a couple points that I was like, wait a minute, they just ripped off Geek Love big time. But yeah, Geek Love is one of those books I, I recommend to a lot of people. I love it. and But in, I did reread it recently, and it wasn't... It went from being like one of my all-time top ten favorite books to now it's like eh, it's in the top fifty, but so I'm just a crap apple, mm. I guess. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> or your taste yeah. change. You know, I, you, yeah, you get more stuff added on top of it. And I mean, you know, it's I don't mean to put this in the realm of leaves of grass. You know, I think right. our listeners all know that I, you know, I revere the classics and certain classics quite a lot but you know i just i thought of it and it just like it was a book that had everything for me it was a quick read and a really good read which is the 
you know, those are things that I'm often looking for together. Yeah. It's like, give me a novel that's three to 400 pages that I'm going to tear through that is pretty well written and has interesting characters. I mean, it's the holy grail, basically, for a book that you want to just read in your free time. Yeah. So. And then you've read I'm her other stuff. That. We've talked about it. You've read some of her nonfiction. I haven't read any of that, but um, she also yes, has two other novels collection. that I've never read that no one really talks about. So she's she's kind of an mm-hmm. elusive figure in terms of uh, her writing. Yeah, her collection. Um, I, I think I talked about this on like the second episode of the podcast. Uh, her collection, One Ring <laughs> Circus, is right. sports writing about boxing, and it is unbelievably good. Mm-hmm. Really good book. All right. Are you guys ready for the lightning round of oh, your favorite God. things of the year? Yes. Yeah. I researched my year this morning to be prepared. I didn't for this. do any preparation. Jesus. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. We'll make it easy. Favorite movie you have seen this month for me, Birdman. Oh, just this writer. month? Um, yeah. Uh, Foxcatcher. Or let's do the year if you can come up with something. All right. For the year. Well, yeah. actually, they're almost yeah. the same for me. I mean, uh, Actually, I saw my favorite movie of the year last month, which was Whiplash, which is unbelievable. It's perfect. It's a perfect movie. Whiplash and Foxcatcher are my two favorite movies of the year. Um, And we're seeing it's great, but but Whiplash is a movie that like I can't wait to watch again. Uh, It's much much more Mm. just fun. Foxcatcher is, you know, not super uplifting, but uh, wonderful, wonderful. (laughs) They're both so good, and they're very similar actually. They make good companion pieces because they're about power dynamics and and uh you know you between two central characters primarily it, but whiplash is so unbelievable i i wish i had made that movie i hope to make a movie that is like that it's so good my favorite thus far has been birdman but i'm going to be seeing um yeah. all the new movies probably in the next two weeks i do a little oscar show where me and two other people mm-hmm. predict the uh the winners for a giant audience in the desert but so I have to see all of them. But thus far, Birdman is the most inventive movie I've seen in I don't know when. And I'm really curious about if people who are not um, sort of in the arts feel the same way about Birdman as people who are in the arts feel about Birdman. Yeah. Um, but I was exhilarated and moved and stunned and just absolutely loved it. And Michael Keaton was amazing in it and Ed Norton was amazing. You have to see it again. Seeing it a second time is unbelievable. I saw it. I gotta find. I gotta see the cuts. I need to see where the cuts are. But no, it's not even that. It's just there's not a wasted line in that movie. Every single Mm -hmm. line pays off, and when you realize that the second time you see it, you're like, "Wow, there's not a single line of dialogue that isn't completely meaningful and here for a reason." It's so clever and smart, and I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm curious. I mean, Julia hasn't seen... You haven't seen it yet, huh, Julia? No, I haven't. Okay, then we won't go on too much about it. But I'm I'm very curious about... Because it's it's an example of magical realism in film. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. if that's even possible. And and that's... It's just an interesting question because it feels like a... a, a different type of movie than I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And um, and I feel like it's trying to do what's something that has been done in literature a lot. And it's that, it's that specific phrase, magical realism. And I just, I'm so curious to, you know, to talk about that when, uh, when you have seen it, Julie. So maybe we should oh, do it. Oh, man. A, yeah. A I yeah, I can't and wait to. And because it also has to do with literature. Um, it has yeah. to do with the, the short fiction of Raymond Carver on top of everything yes, else. Yes, exactly. And then also, you know, theater and plays. It's, right, and movies. Yeah, oh, I'm the same way, an... man. I feel like, I mean, it speaks so directly to being an actor, obviously. But um, I think that there's... I, I, I'd like to think that it translates to anybody who's had ambitions and dreams, no matter whether mm-hmm. they're an artist or 
an engineer or a doctor or whatever. I think I, I'm, I, I'd like to think that it translates, but maybe not. All right. Well, hmm. Julia, what, what's your favorite that you've seen thus far? Oh, God. I really haven't seen a lot of movies this year, but I really enjoyed Snowpiercer. Did you guys see that? God, I did. That movie was so good. What I really enjoyed that. That was good. Great movie. I think it's on Netflix uh, now, right? It is. Or, yeah. It went into oh, Netflix almost immediately. Yeah. Um, I missed it in theaters, and then like three weeks later was watching it on Netflix. So that's great sci-fi, allegory, mm-hmm. political. It's really, yeah. really good movie. Um, yeah, that, that's got to be my favorite. Okay. I'm going to say just be yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can I just insert a movie that yes. went so missed this year and it's called Frank. And if you haven't seen it, rent it on iTunes. It's unbelievable. If you liked Almost Famous, you will love this movie, Frank. It's it's what Almost Famous like I don't really love Almost Famous, so this is this movie is for me what Almost Famous is for most people. It's such a good band movie. Anyway, that's it. Go on. I love cool. Almost Famous. Cool. Um, yeah. uh, favorite salad. Hmm. Ugh. Dumb question. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with the chicken Caesar oh, from Trader no. Joe's. I do have an answer for this. You know what I discovered this year? The kale Caesar. Oh, It's so oh, yeah, good. Kale Caesar. It's the only use good. of kale that I approve of. There's I'm so sick of kale. tofu and yet... salad at Whole Foods. It's quite good. Mm. All right. Moving um, on. Well, I, I'll say the Whole Foods salad bar in general is it's a great way to spend $25. Really <laughs> All right. It's a great way to just Delicious. sign over your paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, favorite <laughs> dessert of 2014. I'll lead it off. I have yeah. mine. Mine would be the coconut cream pie from the Dahlia Lounge in Seattle, Washington. Mm. Which I almost threw up onto you guys. But oh, oh right, so it would have been right around then. Well, and so it so might have the been thing. the thing that made you sick, is what you're saying. Well, well, here's the thing, and so I had it, and then that night I got sick, and I was so pissed off because the pie was so good that I was like, I have to find out if that's what made me sick, because if that's what made me sick, and be really upset about it. So I went back the next day Jeez. and got the pie again, and you were fine, and, and so it was then fine. You were like, All right, so good. I was like, cool, I'm good. <laughs> it was a scientific experiment. It was in the name yeah, of science. Wow. You had to do it. Wow. And again, I was. Super and you're gonna high. have to go back and do another control study. <laughs> <laughs> for a week of eating Ta- nothing but pie. Yeah. If you had to survive in the wild, you would not. That'd you would die. Yeah, that'd be fucked. No. All right, um, my favorite, favorite dessert. dessert was also a pie. It was the cherry pies served at my wedding. They were oh, really good. Oh, those were good pies. Those were good pies. Yeah. Mm. That's my favorite dessert. Okay. Ryder, um, how about you? I don't, I don't really have one. I mean, I'm obsessed right now. We just moved into a new neighborhood, and there's an Italian deli, and uh, we are eating Ooh. cannolis every night, and they are mm. delicious. So, Great I'll answer. Yeah. All right. Um, All right, Todd, what's next? Song you were obsessed by in 2014. Ugh. Let me check my Spotify account. What did I, what did I listen to the most? Um, wow. Well, you obviously have an answer, so why don't you go ahead? Um, I was obsessed by uh, Excuse Me While I Break My Own Heart Tonight by Whiskey Town, which came out many, many years ago. But I listened to oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's anything. a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. I listened to that a lot. And then I had a dream, in fact, where Cher covered that song in my dream. And I woke up and I was like, you know what? Cher could pull that song off. She should, she should do a cover of Excuse Me While I Break My Own Heart Tonight. Um, but I listened to that more than anything on earth. Other than um, every single Jason Isbell song off of Southeastern, which actually came out in 2013. Um, 
but I I was obsessed with Jason Isbell this year. I, I listened to huh. almost nothing but him every day, all day. To my wife's great concern and discontent. <laughs> yeah, that's not super uplifting music. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. But Excuse uh, Me was, was the song that, for some reason, I just couldn't listen to it enough. And I, I listened to all the cover versions that were out there. Um, just a, it was my, my jam for the year. Cool. Um, good, good, good lyrics this year that I obsessed over. The Weather Machine is a band, and they have a, a song called Back Over Oregon. Back or Ower? Back Ower Oregon. There's no V. Back Over Oregon without a V. Um, there's a band called You Won't, and they have a song called Television that is amazing. Um, but I really got into Rue Paines. Have you guys listened to Rue Paines at all? No. He's sort of like this Nick Drake. If you like Nick Drake, you'll like Rue Paines. It's that sort of, and if you like um, Andrew Bird, you'll like Rue Paines. Oh, yeah. And his lyrics are so funny because they are, I love them, but they are, they are very literal um, or I guess allegorical. Um, but so they're they're different than lyrics I usually I tend to like lyrics that are about very specific contemporary situations like Jason Isbell is a great mm. lyricist in my mind or or Ryan Adams you know people that take like a fragmentary sort of moment in their life like a night in a bar or a relationship right. like two weeks of a relationship or whatever and just really get specific in the details and then you get to sort of fill in your own details or you know make it a connections with your life Rue Paines does weirder sort of sweeping um, lyrics that like he has a song called Glory Days um, and I swear to God, he's he's writing from the perspective of like Agamemnon, like it's written. It's it's like this classical. It's you know it's so universal. But it actually, when I started listening to it, I'm like, I think he's being very specific about going to war on a ship, you know, for the the Greeks or for the Trojans. It's like that kind of epic, and it still works for me. It still connects in a very personal, emotional way. He has another song uh, the, called Little Giant. And um, obviously, I'm having a son, so it connects. But it's it, it has this line: "Have the heart of a man," or I'm sorry, "Have the heart of a giant, but know you're a man." And it's just these, you know, he has these sort of big, broad statements. That, I don't know; they're basically lyrics I usually wouldn't like, but for whatever reason, I love them when he sings them. So, mm -hmm. Rupain's um, "Little Giant," listen to it. There, there was another song that I should mention. A new mm -hmm. song called uh, "When You Were Mine" by Night Terrors of 1927, which uh, yeah, it's a great name for a band, Night Terrors of 1927. Mm -hmm. But it reminded me of every 80s pop song I ever loved. Um, but and it, I think I think that one had Tegan and Sarah on it also. But Night Terrors of 1927 are this very um, you know reminiscent of the 80s new wave synth band that uh, that I really like. And then there was another band. Paharo Sunrise that I got into. And then finally, I should mention, I love the new uh, Ray LaMontagne album. Um, and I listened to that over and over again also this year. That was, yeah, that was one too. of my big favorites. It was a good one. I listened to a lot of Nina Simone this year. A lot. I love Ooh. her. She's, She's one of my great. favorite singers of all time. But I, I've had kind of a back and forth, and I've recently landed very positive on someone who's topping the charts right now, um, Sam Smith. His two singles are suffering greatly from being so overplayed, but he is a really good voice, and I've decided I just need more variety in how much he's being played. Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yes. No idea. I have uh, heard Sam Smith. Stay with me, and I know I'm not the only one. That might be not the title, but um, they're both really good, you know, like soulful pop songs, but they are played probably, you know, 
every fourth song on the radio right now. So it's exhausting. But he has a great voice. Very talented man. That can totally turn me off. Yeah, I know. Yes. I uh, I actually don't ever really listen to the radio because I have Sirius, so I listen to the stations that are geared entirely towards exactly what my tastes are. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I very rarely hear the pop songs anymore unless, um, you know, something odd happens. But Sam know, Smith that's... is ubiquitous. He I don't is. think I've ever heard a Taylor Swift song, but I've heard a lot about Taylor Swift. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, there's all these people like that that I know I should probably listen to. And no, I probably like well it goes back to that book remember the celine dion book that i read this which year i loved about, yeah carl wilson book, wasn't it great yeah, and that really that was. that you know the whole concept of tastes and popularity i feel like i'm still i'm of a dying breed of people that still you know get turned off by something being popular um it's kind of a stupid attitude to have but i can't get rid of it <laughs> it's yours I'm trying I'm All trying. right, let's uh, turn the page here. Favorite uh, article of clothing that you wore this year, Ryder? Mm, what did I love this year? That's a tough question. I know. Um, it's, it's oh, really... no, 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 I have an answer. Oh. I am wearing them right now. I have a pair of boots that are so awesome. They're by a brand out of like Sweden, I want to say, or Norway or something. And it's called Sneaky Steve. And they are the best made shoes ever. And I wore them. I went on my honeymoon in France this year and all over the south of France. These were the greatest boots. They're just the greatest shoes I've ever owned. Um, So Sneaky Steve shoes. Oh, unbelievable. All right. Julia? I am... Uh, I'm heartily going to recommend, I wear like two days a week shirts from the out of print um, t-shirt company. They have old book covers printed on them and they are amazing. And in particular, I've been wearing a Brave New World sweatshirt, I think once a week the entire year. So it's a great sweatshirt. Uh, I have become obsessed with, and in fact, without even thinking about it today, wearing one today. Uh, there's a brand of clothing called Oaklandish that uh, celebrates the East Bay of Northern California and in particular the sports teams. No way, that's so cool. And so today I'm wearing an Oaklandish t-shirt, which is the Day of the Dead, but the Day of the Dead face is actually um, former Oakland A's reliever Raleigh Fingers. Um, Oaklandish has the coolest shirts uh, and sweatshirts and hats about stuff for the East Bay and from the East Bay. And so, as a Oakland A's, Oakland Raiders, Oakland Stompers, Golden State Warriors fan, um, they now have all the shirts I wish I could have worn when I was a 11-year-old boy. And that's really the thing I think that's cool about getting old, is that everything I ever wanted when I was 10, I can now find and, uh, and wear and look like an odd person in because I'm 43 years old. But the shirts and clothes of Oaklandish, which I have on right now and absolutely love. All right, let's see. I think we have time for one last question before uh, Ryder gives birth and um, and I go finish my Christmas shopping. And I go um, read Todd's book. <laughs> and, and Julia goes and reads Todd's book. Um, let's see here. Favorite guilty pleasure of the year. The, the thing you did that you wished you hadn't done, but you did it all the time. And, That's a and really nothing, tough question. Nothing porny, Julia. Nothing porny. Oh, that is so broad. I have nowhere to begin. <laughs> I've done so many things um, I regret. Oh, no, I do. I do. I have the exact answer. Fucking Survivor. <laughs> oh, God. The TV show Survivor 
what ha- we ran out of stuff to watch, and so we went onto Hulu and we started watching old seasons of Survivor. I have made it through, no joke, eight or nine seasons of Survivor during this pregnancy. And I've, I've talked to other people, you know, that they binge watch shows while their wife is pregnant, you know, because you can't drink, you're hanging out at home, and you just end up getting sick of whatever is on TV. So you start binge watching like an old show, and then it becomes like comfort food that you can't get away from. Uh, Survivor. I became obsessed. We then we entered a Survivor pool for the new oh season, <laughs> and I did very well. I didn't win, but I was in the top oh ten of the Survivor oh pool. Oh my god! Yeah, well, you know, I've never been a reality TV person, and Survivor is pretty kick ass. I'm a huge fan, and I I will defend it. If you're laughing yeah. at no, me, no, I'm laughing at you joining for... the pool, watching the show. I understand entirely. <laughs> Making it. Oh, a part wait a minute! How many fantasy life? football leagues are you a part of? How many fantasy football? You you play in three different fantasy I mean, football leagues. I I do. It's the same thing. I do play fantasy. It's the same thing. I got to pick my four survivors that I you know, and then you get points each episode based on how well they do. I did damn well. I picked well. I know I know my survivor now. But our big joke is that our son is going to come out knowing the survivor theme. <laughs> That's going to be like. You know the music, the suits. Oh God! I should note I I did very well in fantasy wow. football this wow. year. I I finished twelve and two, but then lost in the playoffs. It was upsetting, very upsetting. All right, Julia. I mean, I guess my biggest guilty pleasure this year is, you know, for most of the year I stayed up really late with my improv friends, and you know, every night we hang out at a pub and we tell stories and. I lose a lot of sleep, and I know I should be a responsible Connecticut adult and go to bed by 11, but I just can't do it. You know, the New Yorker experience in me can't go, can't be anyone but the last person hanging out at a party if people are telling good stories. So I guess that is the thing that I am most guilty about and have the most pleasure over. Um, but also, here's something that I'm embarrassed about, but also... Oh, perfect. Yeah. All right. Um, but this is more sort of like a shame. Okay, you're going to get it in a second. I don't think I've told you guys this, but um, I moved this year into a new apartment. And the person who lived here before us was an athlete. And there is a sauna in my house. There's a little sauna in my apartment. <laughs> That's so cool. It is awesome. But when people see it. A steam room? See it, or or the, a no, hard sauna? a like sauna with, with, rocks. So, with rocks, yeah. Um, okay. And it's like, it's basically like a little closet when you open the door and it's a sauna and it's embarrassing because it makes me feel super rich, even though, you know, it just came with the house, but I've been using it a lot too. So that goes with my late nights. That's so funny. Yeah. I tell you what, every year that I go to residency at the Ranch Los Palmas Resort, there is a steam room and a sauna at the resort and I get to use it for free. And Mm -hmm. about four times during the 10 days, I go and I have a schwitz. Yeah, I said, it's nice. It's I great. have a Schmitz. The only I think problem, it's the ultimate is, guilty pleasure. It is. It's a really guilty pleasure because you're like, well, I'm just, I'm literally just sitting here sweating. But it feels so good. But then invariably, and this is why having it in your home is better, some dude walks in with his dick swinging around and is just sitting there with everything out. And then I feel uncomfortable and I don't know where to look. And I'm just, then I start thinking about him sweating. And it's just, it ruins the schwitz when another person comes into the schwitz and starts schwitzing with their nuts out. And that's why you have to have a closet-sized one in your house. Yeah. Yeah, I would like see? I would like to come visit you, Julia, to take a schwitz. 
would I... be lovely. So because of Todd's... Wait, yeah, let me just ahead. get this argument right. Because of Todd's homophobia, no, no, he needs a closet in his house that he can hide in. Right? That's what... I'm just following the steps of the argument. I read about this. He needs a closet that he can get into. <laughs> because of the swinging dicks that come out I'm also that. a oh, never yeah. nude. Okay, no, 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 I got it. I got it. It makes perfect sense. It all I'm works. A little bit of a works. never nude. I think that's a good place to end. So, <laughs> here's, here's, all right, happy holidays to thing. all of our listeners. So, no, 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 you're done. We're I didn't done. get my guilty pleasure, but hold on. Here, can we just? Oh, you didn't. Look. I thought that was your no. guilty pleasure. The the, <laughs> the closet that you wanted to build in your here's house. Thing. Like I understand. You know, when you're in the male side of the gym or at the spa or whatever, that yes, you have the freedom, if you choose, to walk around with your junk swinging around. I get it. You have that freedom. I think wearing a towel, at least, that's just common courtesy. I don't need to see a stranger's nuts, irrespective of the fact that I can. Okay, what is your guilty pleasure? You know, my guilty pleasure is actually somewhat related to writers, which is that I became addicted <laughs> to a reality show called Married at First Sight. Oh, um, yeah. Which tr- I watched that tracked too. three couples who got married at first sight. So my wife and I, Wendy and I, watched the show, and that was great. You know, we watched it, and, you know, I, I pretended to just sort of be vaguely engaged while watching it. People, I'm here to tell you, I followed all six of them on Twitter I became engaged in oh the conversations God. they were having on Twitter. I typed responses to things and then deleted them, realizing that I didn't want a historical record of me talking to these people on the Twitter. Um, obsessed and cried at the reunion <laughs> show. Cried. Real Can I tears. get it? Can I get it on like Hulu or is it? Oh, I'm sure gone? it's on there somewhere. I think it was on, I want to say it was on Lifetime or something. I'll check it out. Absolutely fascinating. Um, people, what happened is they married at first sight and then two couples stayed together. One couple broke up and I was absolutely stunned the entire way through. I was addicted. I felt weird. And then I started thinking, you know, how do I get on this show? Oh, right. I'm married. I can't, I can't get on. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and not find out how to get on that show. (laughs) But, but the whole idea was that they were put together by like, Right, experts, by, right, or like psychiatrists exactly. or people, social scientists, kind of panel, yeah, right. all that sort of thing. That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I love that idea. And there was there's a, a a couple where, you know, I just hated the guy, and like I had to Google him exhaustively to find out everything I could about him, which was stupid because everything I needed to know about him I saw on television. Um, but nevertheless, I became a little obsessed with the show to the point that when they announced that they're going to be following the married couples for the next season, I was like. I don't know if I can get back on the yam yam, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if this is a healthy obsession for me. Um, but it was, uh, it was, I loved it. And I feel, I feel so sick and so gross about my great love of it. Yeah. Great. So that was 2014 right, in a nutshell so right there. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And hope everyone out there has happy holidays. Yeah. And uh, Julia, Todd, hope you guys you have too, happy having baby having. Yes, and the next time we're yeah. all together, Ryder will be a young father, as Typhoon once said. There will be a new strong. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll do it for this episode of Literary Disco. Join us in two weeks when we discuss Jenny Ophel's Department of Speculation. Literary Disco is produced, edited, and saved every week by Tucker Ives. 
Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and thanks for listening.